Restitution is the title of the question, or the theme of the question we're going to talk about today. What is restitution? You know, so often we come to church and we hear all the messages on all the main topics and all the main themes and through the different books of the Bible and about different characters. But every once in a while you hear something that you didn't know about. And so most likely, many of you have not heard of the principle of restitution. Uh, If you have heard the term restitution, it's likely that you've not heard much teaching on it. Uh, In following the subject of sin, forgiveness, reconciliation, restoration, one must also consider restitution if they want to truly walk in fellowship with God and their fellow brother or sister in Christ. So, to give you a bit of a backstory, consider what I'm about to say. We have talked about what sin is and how it breaks the heart of God, right? And how it breaks fellowship with God, but not only with God, but also others that we sin against. So we know that sin affects us very deeply in many ways. And then we talked about dealing with conflict with other believers last week and how there are times that we must go to a brother and we may have to that we have sinned against, and either ask them forgiveness, or sometimes they may come to us and say, listen, this is a situation, we have to deal with it, right? And so we, we understand the concepts that go along with that, but there are also times that we must go to whom we've sinned against and take it one step further if we are going to be right with God. So, however, sometimes a needed step in the process is overlooked. Now, I would dare say that this process either stops or even impedes true forgiveness from even taking place. So let me illustrate the principle of restitution, if I could, before I actually get into the scripture of what is involved here. So, here's the illustration. John rides to work with Jerry one day. John notices that Jerry has an envelope full of cash sitting on his center console that he is placed there to pay a bill later on that evening. John, in a moment of temptation, weakness, comes up with an excuse during the lunch hour to go out to Jerry's car. And in that moment, he says to himself, I'm not going to take it all. I'm just going to take some of it. And so, later on that day, Jerry realizes that there's money missing from his envelope. And he mentions it to John. You know, John feels bad, but he says nothing. Even though Jerry has mentioned it, there's cash missing, he just goes on as if nothing has taken place. A few weeks pass, and John's conscience begins to work overtime on him to the point that he approaches Jerry and confesses that he is the one responsible for the missing cash. John apologizes to Jerry for taking the cash that wasn't his, and Jerry, even though disappointed, forgives him. So here's where the principle of restitution is often overlooked and often not even considered a necessary aspect. But before I finish the illustration, let's look at what restitution is. So, restitution, by definition, is the restoring of something stolen or lost back to the one it was taken from. 
It can also be defined as the recompense for injury or loss by the person responsible for the injury or loss. So let me say that long definition again, and then I'm going to break it down. Restitution is the restoring. So when you think of restoration, think of restoring of something stolen or lost back to the one it was taken from. It can also be defined as the recompense or the repaying for injury or loss by the person responsible for the injury or loss. Now let me just say this. You know, as I was talking through this with my wife a little bit last night, and she goes, I think you need to tweak the illustration a little bit. Not everybody is a Zacchaeus. And she's right. So what are the other aspects whereby restitution or recompense must be practiced? Well, injury or loss may include lying or gossip. How often has someone lied or gossiped about somebody and it has caused incredible harm and damage? Wrong attitudes or even selfishness must also have restitution involved. We must consider restitution for all the offenses, other offenses as well. You say, well, why is this important? Why are we talking about something that we don't really deal with a lot? Because I think it's more necessary than what we're giving credit for. Most of us come to the idea that, well, you know, we, we made it right, and we're, we're kind of good with the situation. You know, I know we're not the best of friends anymore, but it happened, so we're just going to move on. Well, that sounds all good and great in the mind of you, but the person who was sinned against, the person who was wronged, oftentimes, even though they may offer a shallow form of forgiveness... This is where the forgetfulness seems to never happen because they still remember the offense. Right? Let's be honest. So let me give you at least four reasons why restitution is important. At least four reasons. There are other reasons, but let me give you four reasons. Number one, restitution gives evidence of a genuine conversion. Restitution gives evidence of a genuine conversion. The reality is this. If someone is truly born again, they will want to do what's right. They will want to give restitution for the wrong that they have done. And it gives evidence that you are truly born again. Why? Because once you are born again, God's Word says that everything changes. I no longer act like the unsaved world. I no longer live like the unsaved world. And the things I would have done, I shouldn't be doing now as a believer. There should be a difference. We ought to act different, speak different, do different because we are children of God, right? I mean, nobody's going to argue that. So if we have sinned against somebody, it's one thing to say, well, I'm sorry and just want to move on. But it's another thing to make restitution for what you did that was wrong, that was sinned against that other person. And we're going to see some scriptures for this in just a moment. So if one is truly saved, there should be a change in their life, which, re- which includes their behavior, their lifestyle, their thinking, their actions, and so forth. If there is no change, there may not be genuine salvation. It may not be authentic. See, a lot of people say, well, yeah, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. On what evidence do you base that claim? Are you basing it on the fact that you have a changed life? Or are you basing it on the idea that, well, everyone else is, so I'm just going to kind of blend in and do what they do and kind of pretend like I am one? If I truly know Jesus, there ought to be a change in our life that changes everything, right? We wouldn't disagree with that. So where do we see this in Scripture? Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Luke chapter 19. 
And this is probably one of the most familiar cases, though it's not by, by any matter the, the, the only example of this in Scripture. In Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 1, it says, Then Jesus an- entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He is gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Now let's just stop for a moment. Zacchaeus has what many of us have. It's called a reputation. And you know, oftentimes I could say a name and immediately, if it's a well-known name or somebody that you're closely associated with, you immediately have a word picture or a description in your mind when I mention that person's name. And all of a sudden, Zacchaeus, because he has a reputation, and all of a sudden Jesus is spending time with him, they're all like, wow, do you realize what Jesus just did? He just He's talking with a sinner. What was the reputation that Zacchaeus had? Well, we see from Scripture. Look at verse 8. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. One of the evidences that clearly distinguishes a believer from an unbeliever is a changed life. Remember last week I said Jesus must have a, or God must have a sense of humor because he uses the word if when in some places in the New Testament it's translated since. You know, if a brother offends. He might as well have said since because we know that brothers are going to offend. Well, here's another one. Zacchaeus says, he goes, if I have, he goes, no, 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 you know you have. And since you've done it, and this is what and since I know I've done it, this is what I'm going to do. And he basically says this, I give half of my goods to the poor. So there's this presupposition here that Zacchaeus is admitting that I have gotten wealth, I've gotten material good, because I have robbed from the others around me. I'm a publican, I'm a tax collector, and I've overcharged. Yes, I'm giving my higher ups what they deserve, but I'm putting a little bit off the top for myself as well. I'm going to charge a little bit more so that I can get wealthy too. And he realizes that his, his, his wealth was ill-gained. And he says, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. And he says, if I've done anything wrong towards anyone, I'm going to restore it fourfold. Who would do that except someone who has truly put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone? You see, a changed life is evidence of true, genuine conversion. And I think when we say that we're sorry, but are not willing to make things right to the extent that they need to be made right, it puts in jeopardy our claims of really, truly knowing Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11, 2 Corinthians 7, 10 and 11 says, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligent it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Why? Because if I truly repent, 
And remember, we talked about what repentance is. I'm going this direction. I'm walking this direction. And all of a sudden, I'm confronted with the truth that what I am doing, what I am saying, how I am living, how I am reacting is not right. It's not according to Scripture. It's unbiblical. So I'm confronted with the truth that what I have going on is not right. I change directions and go a different direction. It says true repentance results in what? A changed life. Conversion. So godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. So if I can say that I'm sorry to someone that I've sinned against, but I'm not willing to make it right to the extent that it needs to be made right, I have not finished the process. Because this process is often way too quickly overlooked and dismissed, and I'll tell you why in a few minutes. Number two, why is restitution important? Number two, restitution gives peace and unity to the parties involved. Why? Because in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, it says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, what? Live peaceably with all men. God's Word exhorts us to live peaceably with all men, as much as it, what? Depends on me. And so, I've witnessed this over the years. Somebody did something against somebody else. They either stole something, took something that wasn't theirs, They said something that was untrue. It was a bull-faced lie. They gossiped about it. And all of a sudden they get caught and say, oh, well, I'm sorry. And they think it's over. There's more to the process. And if we can walk away and say, well, I'm satisfied. I did what I was supposed to do. It's all done and over with. Once again, people don't forget as much as you think they do. Anybody ever notice that? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm going my hunky-dory way, and all of a sudden, two years later, you know that friend that you used to hang out with, once after they did that, you don't hang out with them anymore? Even though you said you were sorry and you forgave each other. How many have ever seen that happen? Yep, every one of us. Why? Because there's still a process that didn't happen to make the situation fully resolved. So God's Word exhorts us to live peaceably as much as it depends on us to do that. And if part of living peaceably is restoring what you took, undoing what you did to the extent that you can undo it, we'll talk about that, you need to do it. Well, number three, restitution gives evidence of love towards your brother. Restitution gives evidence of love towards your brother. Well, God's Word commands us to love our neighbors, how? As ourselves. Let's be honest here. I don't want you to raise hands because I don't want any, some, you know, a few of you to be embarrassed, but how many of us get up and take a shower every day because, man, we want to be clean, that water feels good, it's warm, soothes your back. I mean, you just love that warmth. That's me. My day does not officially start. Ask my kids. Ask my wife. My day does not officially start until I've had my shower. I don't care what the day is. I'm taking time to be showered. If I've got to be late to 10 things, I'm taking a shower. Why? Because I love myself. And before you... Snicker at that, you love yourself too. That's why your day starts with a cup of coffee. That's why your day starts with a drive through McDonald's. That's why your day starts with a phone call to someone that you love and appreciate. We all do the things in our lives that we love and appreciate because why? It pleases us. And so much of life is all about revolving around number one rather than the one, right? So the reality is God's Word says we're to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. 
Man, we, some of us will stop at nothing to do what brings pleasure and joy and satisfaction to ourselves. Let's be honest. And in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39, it says, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And once again, I've said this many times over the years, until we love God as we ought, we will never love those around us as we ought. That's just how it works. Because if I have a wrong view of God, I'm going to have a wrong view of mankind. That's just reality. But he goes on to say, this is the first and great commandment, and the second is like to it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's tough. Anybody agree? We love ourselves. But do we love our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, our co-workers, whoever else is in our sphere of influence, like we love ourselves? Luke 6.31 I remember my grandmother used to always say this. And I just thought it was a cute little saying. You know, treat others as you want to be treated. Luke 6.31 And just as you want men to do to you, you also should do to them. Question. Do we treat others as we want to be treated? And we're living a day where there is so much disrespect and we wonder why things are the way they are. We just go through life flippantly irritated with everybody that just doesn't see things the way we see it, do things the way we do it, act the way we'd act. But I wonder if it's not because we don't love others as we ought and we don't treat them as we want to be treated. We just kind of go on through life worrying about me, myself, and I, three most important people in my world. We're going to come back to that. Number four. The fourth reason why restitution is important is for this reason. It gives the offender a reminder to not do the offense again. It holds the offender accountable. For example, lost finances, property, character assassination, etc. It holds the offender accountable. So, if restoring the relationship, quote-unquote, costs you something, you'll be less likely to make this offense again. Agree? Restitution then becomes a form of self-discipline. You know, Proverbs 26, verse 11 says, As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. You know, it's a nasty-sounding verse, but there's so much truth to it. If you don't learn, as I think Bob Jones Sr. said, those who forget the past are what? Condemned to repeat it. But when your offense brings you to the place where it cost you something, you're less likely to do it again. So it becomes a valuable reminder of the offense that you made. And let me just say this. Restitution should follow immediately after repentance. It should follow immediately after repentance. You might be thinking, well, okay, so you gave us an example of Zacchaeus. What about others? Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 22. Exodus in chapter 22, uh, just for a moment. And we're going to see what happened in the Old Testament. I realize you say, well, that was Old Testament. Thank God it was Old Testament. And uh, (laughs) we don't practice some of these things in the New Testament, thankfully. But let's just, to understand the principle that God, how important God believed restitution was. Let's look at a couple verses. Look at Exodus chapter 22 and verse 1. 
says, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he, wrote, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Ouch. If you steal an ox and sell it or slaughter it, man, that's going to be a costly payback. Let me ask you a question. If you're caught stealing a man's ox and you go over here and sell it or butcher it, and it was found out that what you sold and butchered was this man's, and now you've got to give him five back? How likely are you going to do that again? My goodness. See, the value of restitution helps you learn what you should not be doing. And if it's a sheep, four more for that. Restitution says, I'm willing to pay. I need to restore. Restitution, restore what I took, the offense that I made wrong. Look at verses 3-6. through six. It says, If the sun has risen on him, there shall be guilt for his blood. Oh, actually, verse 2. If the thief is found breaking in, and he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. Wait, God's Word says that if a guy breaks in my house and I accidentally kill him because I hit him on the head, I'm not held accountable for that. But if the sun has risen on him, there should be no guilt for his blood. In other words, he wakes up. He lives the, you know, live another day. There shall be guilt for his bloodshed. He, or, there, there should be guilt for his bloodshed. He should make full restitution. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the theft is certainly found alive in his hand, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he, re- he shall restore double. If you're caught stealing something, whatever you tried to steal, you're paying back double. Why? Because it wasn't yours. Interesting concept, right? If a man causes a field or a vineyard to be grazed and lets loose his animal and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. So I'm a rancher. I've got some cattle and they meandered into my neighbor's field and they fed on that grain and those vineyards and used up his green grass you're going to give me the best of what you have to make it right so well i said i was sorry i mean it's no big deal he forgave me it's a big deal let's go on our merry way so the cattle got over there no big deal it was a big deal why because it's not yours interesting concept right i mean if something's not yours you Shouldn't take it. Sounds, sounds logical enough. But we live in an illogical world anymore. I mean, I've heard people say, well, he's got six houses. He should give five of them to the four. Well, why? Why did they work for him? No, it's not theirs. Well, it's unfair. So, life is unfair. There's principles to be found in God's Word that we are to live by. So, I'll give you another one. Verse 14. We could go on here. Verse Verse 6, actually. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that it's stacked grain, standing grain, or the field is consumed, he who kindled the fire shall surely make restitution. So if you cause a fire because of your negligence or even accidentally cause a fire, you're to make restitution for it. Look at verse 14. If a man borrows anything from his neighbor and becomes injured or dies... The owner of it, not being with it, he shall surely make it good. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever lended a tool to somebody 
and it either has disappeared or has come back broken. Two hands and a foot, folks. Many numerous times my kids are laughing. (laughs) They know half my sockets are gone. I'm not bitter about it, though. Um, There is a truth to this fact that we overlook this necessary step of restitution in our walk with Jesus Christ, in our walk with fellow believers. Anybody agree? Happens all the time. So, if he shall. I mean, just think about that. If he does this, you shall. It's not up for discussion. It's not up for debate. It's not up for reasoning. You're to make it right. Return five for one if it's an ox, four for one if it's a sheep. In one of those verses it says, even if you cannot, your life would be sold into slavery and you would, with with those funds that you receive from being sold, pay your debt off. You may end up your rest of your life as a slave to make right what you had done wrong. In some cases, thieves had to restore double what they were trying to steal. Return the best of his field or crops to the neighboring field that your cattle got into and destroyed. Repayment for a fire. You had to be restored. Making good for things borrowed or broken or not returned. You had to make it right. And we think sometimes, well, I said I was sorry. That should be good enough. Leviticus chapter 6, verses 2-5 through five says, If a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or about a pledge, or about a robbery, or if he has extorted his, from his neighbor, or if he has found what he was lost and lies concerning it and swears falsely, in any of these things that a man may do in which he sins, then it shall be, because he has sinned and is guilty, that he shall, what's the word? Restore what he has stolen, or the thing which he has extorted, or what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or the lost thing which he found, or all that about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore its full value, add one-fifth more to it, and give it to whomever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering. So, is the restitution take, to take place a week later, a month later, two, three years later? No. As soon as it is discovered, it should be made right immediately. Say, well, that's all Old Testament. Right. But think of the principle. If you are truly a child of God, if you truly want to please your Heavenly Father, if you truly want to love your neighbor as He loves you, if you truly want to walk in fellowship with Jesus, you must practice restitution. So let's get back to John from our earlier illustration. John, feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit for having taken Jerry's cash, goes to him and confesses that he is the one responsible for the missing cash. He apologizes to Jerry and asks for his forgiveness. And and as we said earlier, Jerry, though disappointed, offers his forgiveness. Here's the question. Is the situation just done and over with because he said he was sorry? Or is there something more he should do to resolve the matter completely? Just think about that for a moment. 
One could argue, well, jury said he was sorry, or jury offered his forgiveness, so the situation is done and over. I mean, if jury says he's forgiven, it's done. One could argue that, right? Anybody disagree? Well, he said I was, he said I was forgiven, it's over. But one could also argue from Scripture that if John truly wants to make it right and restore the relationship, he should offer to restore the cash that he took from Jerry. Question. Is Jerry out because John decided to take his cash? Yeah. Why should John suffer a loss, or Jerry suffer a loss because John decided to take his cash? And John can say, well, well, I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry. It's, it, you know, he forgave me, so let's move on. Because biblically, the right thing to do, if you truly want to be right with God, is that you ought to offer to restore what you took from Him. So what does restitution look like in the case of lying and gossip and wrong attitudes towards another or even our own selfishness? What does that look like biblically? I can't tell you the number of times that I have heard of situations where somebody made a false accusation, lied about it, told everybody about it, the rumor mill got started, gossip took place everywhere, and it has destroyed someone immensely. Several years ago, I went to a conference, and uh, one of the conference speakers talked about the, or one of the conference attendees told us how he was falsely accused by a girl in his youth group said that he touched her inappropriately. Two years later, it went to court. He became a registered sex offender. Nothing was further from the truth. He can never be a youth pastor again, can never walk in most doors of churches because of it again. And then the girl came back two years later. Two years later, after his job was taken from him, after his character was assassinated, after his reputation was destroyed, and said, I made the whole thing up. I lied because I got ticked off at him. How do you restore that? Nearly impossible. So we have to think about what we say, what we do, before we do it. Before we say it. Because often our actions have serious repercussions. So what does restitution look like in the case of lying and gossip, wrong attitudes? You know, it's one thing to say, you know, Susie, I, I told a bunch of people that uh, you did this, and I, I'm sorry I said it, you know, and I, I shouldn't have said it, and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Susie could turn around and say, out of the graciousness of her heart, and say, you know what, you're sorry. I mean, you're forgiven. I accept your apology. But let me ask you a question. What's one step that she could take to offer restitution? I've often said this, and we said it last week. If you're not part of the problem, you're not part of the solution. But if you are part of the problem, you are part of the solution. <coughs> Excuse me. So one thing that she could do is go back to all those people that she yacked to, all those people that she told the lie to, all those people that she spread the false rumors to and eat humble pie. Hey, last week I told you that Susie did this. I lied. It wasn't the truth. And I want you to know she did not say that and do that. And 
I want you to know I'm sorry. I've made it right with her, and I want you to know I lied about that. Let me ask you a question. Is that easy? No. How many think it's necessary? To the extent that you can make it right, you make it right. You could go to that person you gossiped with and set the record straight and tell them the truth. I've seen many relationships hurt and even destroyed, though one or both parties said, I'm sorry, you're forgiven. Damage done. But what about going back and setting the record straight? I lied. I said some things that weren't true. I said some hurtful things, and I want you to know I'm sorry. And I want to make it right to the extent that I can. It's often easier to acknowledge wrongdoing than to actually go to the person you sinned against and truly make it right. Three things. The thought that, well, I said I was sorry. That ought to be good enough. I said I was sorry. It sounds more like you sorry you got caught. But not sorry enough to go make it right. Well, I asked for forgiveness. And they said I was forgiven. That should end it. Well, that's nice. You got off with $3,000 worth of cash and said you're sorry. Oh, oh well, no big deal. No big, nothing lost. No, that person was lost, has lost out because you chose to sin against them. And they may out of graciousness offer forgiveness, but you out of a genuine conversion and walk with God ought to offer to restore it back. Say, well, I, I said I won't do it again. That's reassuring. <laughs> How many have heard that one before? I won't do it. I, I, I won't do it again, I promise. That sounds like you just don't want to get caught again. Here's the idea in conclusion. If you are truly saved and you know Jesus Christ, if you want real peace and a clear conscience and unity with that person that you sinned against, if you biblically love your brother as you love yourself as God called us to do, And if you don't ever want to repeat the offense, you'll make restitution for it. See, this is something that we don't talk about. We always think that, well, the sin has been made known. I said I was sorry. I asked for forgiveness. They gave it to me. Let's just move on. But let me ask you a question. Was that good enough for Zacchaeus? No. Was it good enough for Old Testament principles? No. Why should it be good enough for us? Because it's hard? I mean, I took that money when I was really hard up, and I, I'm really not much better now. I just, all right. But, do you really want to restore fellowship? Remember, something's been broken. Restoration is restoring the broken bone. And I can say, well, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I asked for your forgiveness, and I won't do it again, but... You still took that from him. You still said that about him that wasn't true to how many dozens of people. You still started a rumor mill that that is just taken off like wildfire. To the extent that you can make something right, I believe according to God's word, you need to make it right. Say, well, what if there's really nothing specific in my life that... You know, I've really done towards somebody. Well, if that's truly the case, I think there's something that we often overlook, and this is the last verse I'm going to look at. 
In God's Word, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable. Reasonable. In other words, he says, for you to live for me in light of what I've done for you, well, God, I'm sorry. I know I should live. I, I know I should live a better life, Lord. I realize I should be more committed, Lord. I, I realize I should probably serve you better, God. I realize I should probably spend more time with you in prayer and reading your Word. And God, I realize I'm really sorry about it. But okay, I said I'm sorry. I'm going on, doing my own thing. What is our reasonable service? Our reasonable form of worship to God? He says, "This is your reasonable service." Some of your translations may translate that reasonable form of worship. Because worship indicates that I'm walking in fellowship with God. But you can't walk in fellowship with God if there's unresolved sin issues in your life. Sin, remember, breaks relationship. It hinders our relationship with God. It has to be dealt with. So what does restitution look like for many of us who we know we should be doing some things that we're not doing? We know we're doing some things that we shouldn't be doing. Well, I said I was sorry. I said I won't do it again. How's that working? Anybody ever promised God you weren't going to do something and you went back and started doing it again? I'm guilty. What does restitution look like for that? I'm confronted with what I'm doing is wrong. I'm turning my back on it and going a different direction. And to the extent that I can make it right, I'm with the help of the Holy Spirit going to start doing what I should be doing. I'm not just going to make it idle words. I'm going to put feet to my words and do. Restitution is often overlooked and not even discussed. It's one of the hardest things to do. Four or five years back, with this I close, I had a gentleman come up to me and said, Pastor, I'm struggling. I said, okay, what, what can I help you with? He goes, well... Several years ago, I did something that was really, really, really bad. It involved a neighbor that I've known for 20 years. If I make this right, it's going to be very, very, very bad. And I said, so let me ask you a couple questions. You feel bad about what you did? He goes, yeah. I said, you feel guilty because you did it and... They don't know that you're the one responsible for it. Yeah. And I said, you've been living with this for, it was almost 20 years. I said, wow. So I said, by your own admission, you did it 20 years ago. You've carried this load of guilt with you. And if you make it right and confess about it, it's going to be really, really bad. Like bad in like it may have legal consequences? He goes, yeah. And I said, so what are you going to do? He goes, I don't know. And I said, what do you think you should do? He goes, I should make it right. He goes, but I just don't think I can. So I said, so you're willing to go through another 20 years of feeling bad and guilt and wearing this load because you're obviously upset over this and it has hindered your walk? He goes, I just, I just can't bring myself to do it. And I said, so what in the world am I going to say to you that's going to make you feel better about what you've done? Nothing. And he walked out of my office 
And two years later, he still had not done nothing about it. And he was still feeling the load of guilt because he knows he should make it right. See, the easiest thing in the world to do was when there's an offense, when there's a sin against somebody, is to acknowledge that if, I mean, we all know that person who's never guilty. They're never going to say they're sorry. But even if they get beyond that and they say, well, I'm sorry I did this. I, I, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? One of the most difficult things to do is to take that next step of restitution and restore what you've taken. Remember, restitution, restoration. Restitution says, I am going to make right to the extent that I can what I did, which was wrong. And remember, we think of it in terms of money or goods, but oftentimes it can be also be used in terms of lying, cheating, stealing, gossip, rumors. To the extent that you can make it right, you ought to make it right. And if you're not willing, that says something about your own character and your walk with God. Because to him that knows to do right and doesn't do it, to him it is what? Sin, according to James. So I would challenge you, even on the basis of Romans 12, it's your reasonable service to make our walk with God one that is worthy. Lord, as we come before you, Lord, I, I don't know what anybody in this auditorium may be going through. I don't know what memories have been triggered today because of this message. I, I don't know. Nobody has said anything to me. I don't know of anything that's not been made right. But God, I know that you do. And it's something that we don't discuss. It's not something we talk about. So God, I ask that you would work in our hearts, Lord. That we might truly be in a good standing, a good relationship with you, Lord, because we've, Lord, practiced restitution. And if, Lord, if we haven't, may we be willing to do so, regardless of the consequences. Every choice has consequences, both good and bad. So, God, I pray that even if making something right costs us something, even if making something right has severe consequences, God, might we be willing to do it, Lord, to walk in fellowship and holiness and righteousness before you, dear Father. So, God, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Would you challenge us, Lord? But not only challenge us, change us. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just for a moment, every week we have an opportunity to respond to what we've heard. And maybe something that was said this morning has triggered some thoughts and some circumstances in your life that need to be addressed. You say, Pastor, God spoke to me this morning. Would you, would you pray for me in one of these areas? Yes, yes, yes. Anyone else say, Pastor, there's some things that I've done I need to make right. Maybe some things I've said I need to go back and set the record straight. I need to practice restitution, not just apologies and forgiveness, but I need to take that final step and make it right to the extent that I can. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that? Can I just challenge those of you who have lifted your hands? Just take a moment and pray right there where you're at. God says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we're willing to confess it, God's willing to forgive us. But I challenge all of us to take that step in all these circumstances, so that we can truly be in right relationship with Jesus Christ.
Let's all stand to our feet. Lord God, I pray that you be with each one who raised their hand and their heart towards you this morning, Lord. The dear Father, Lord, you'd allow us, Lord, Lord, first of all, Lord, you've been so gracious with us. You've been patient with us. And Lord, uh, Lord, oftentimes, Lord, we don't practice these things because we're not aware of them. But now that we are, dear Father, I ask that we would implement this process of restitution, that we would make things right to the extent that we can with those that we've sinned against. And God, I pray that we would do the hard thing regardless of the consequences. So God, speak to our hearts. Be with each one who raised their hand their heart towards you, Lord. Give them the ability to follow through. God, thank you for your mercy, for your grace, Lord. So many times that we've sinned against you, Father. So many times that we've made a commitment that we wouldn't do such and such again, and we did. So many times that we, we promised, Lord, that we were sorry, and then we just went right back to it. And God, we need to make that right. Set some new guidelines. Set some new principles up. Some new goals, some new desires, some new disciplines, Lord, to help us live the life that you've called us to. And I pray that we'd help be willing to do that, Lord, with your help. Through the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name.